Warning. This episode contains subject matter and dialogue related to physical, sexual, and emotional abuse, which might be triggering or distressing to some. Clinical Disclaimer This podcast is focused on education and entertainment. While we love to help and teach, it is not meant to be used as a replacement for clinical services. If you are experiencing significant relationship issues or major concerns in your sexual, physical, or mental health, please seek the services of a professional provider near you. Welcome to the University of Pleasure, where we have sexual conversation to help build a happier nation. I'm Dr. Tara Jansen, licensed psychologist and certified sex therapist. And I'm Jeremiah James, and I'm just a guy who likes talking about sex and is soon to be a licensed, uh, what is it, uh, just a guru. I'm going to be a guru, I think. Just like a, a what? A guru. Like, I'm going to be like, I'm just going to be like a self-help guru. I have no idea what you're talking about. I just am feeling it. I mean, you have all these really great titles, but I can't just not have a title and just be this guy who likes talking about sex all the time. Welcome back, folks, to the University of Pleasure. I missed you, Doc. Not gonna lie. I missed you, too, in my own way. I missed you, too. In your own way. And you know what? That's a good way, I feel. I really <laughs> feel it's a good way, like right here in my yeah. heart. Yeah. Well, we are sorry that we were gone, folks. There was a lot going on for both me and the Doc. And scheduling was a little bit difficult, but we are back. We have been getting a lot of great feedback from our last episode with our correspondent, Greg, who's going to be coming back again and yeah, again. Yeah, people so love ready. Greg. You can't not love Greg. It's impossible. You can't not love Greg. He's I'm telling helpful. you. Imp- Greg is a guy that, like, if you went somewhere and you were, like, really scared of the people in your surroundings, be like, hey, man, let's get out of here. You'd be like, I'm going to go take a pee first. Like, you go to the bathroom, you come back out, and everyone's buying you drinks. They're like, wait a minute, man, you're friends with Greg. Like, yeah, like, he's, he's like amazing social lubricant. He is. That is the yeah. greatest. That is his T-shirt right there, Greg. <laughs> he is amazing social lubricant. It's true. Yeah. It's always yeah. been true. And I'm so glad to have him a part of the University of Pleasure with you, Doc. It's so great. Yeah. Well, and I'm excited for, you know, as our correspondent, I'm really coming up with all sorts of evil things to send him out to do into the world. (laughs) And he will do it brilliantly. And he'll slide right through because he's social lubricant. He's brilliant. Yes. Well, this episode today, we had somebody write in. And we're just going to try to jump into the nitty gritty. We know things are difficult right now. And uh, we hope that everybody is safe and healthy. And we're coming up to the holidays, which is always a difficult time. Would you not say, Doc, for a lot of folks? struggling yeah with... the, ho- oh, the holidays are typically stressful right like i i between october and january 1st tends to be about my most you know busy time of year typically and then this year you have the complications around like social distancing and pressures around tradition and I, there's just so much stuff that people are trying to navigate and negotiate and you know i i think people are really doing their best and but at the same time getting a little getting a little worn out yeah or have Maybe that's an understatement. Have been worn out and continue to be. And continue to become even more worn out and more tired and more frustrated. And we feel you and we hope we bring you a little pleasure. And today we had somebody write in and this is going to be a little bit uh, more of a serious episode just to kind of preface it. Because when 
we read this letter, it really broke both of our hearts and we kind of wanted to put it out there because sometimes, man, shit gets real, even at the University of Pleasure. Would I be right in saying that, Doc? Yeah, well, you know, life is full of beautiful, wonderful, painful, messy stuff. Yes, it is. (laughs) It's all of those things at the same time. So I think it's amiss if we uh, don't talk about the serious shit that comes up sometimes for people. There you go. So today's topic, sometimes shit gets complicated. Coming back from painful sexual and romantic experiences. And I have to give the doc credit because she kind of came up with that on the fly, which shows her genius, as always, because we decided to do this episode because we got this letter and we said, we got to do this. We got to talk about it. I think it's really important. And uh, so I am going to be reading this letter that we sent to us. And uh, so here we go. I'm just going to dive in. What do you think, doc? Yeah, go for it. I will listen and we will discuss when you are finished. All right. Here we go. I am a domestic abuse survivor. My ex is a narcissist who was able to hide his true self until we were married. Within a month of the honeymoon, the switch flipped and the abuse began. My eight-and-a-half-year marriage included physical, emotional, verbal, financial, medical, legal, spiritual, and even sexual abuse. The sexual abuse began with coercion and pressure. He would tell me I didn't love him if I didn't do this for him. He would call me names and accuse me of cheating. Well, if you're not giving it from me, you're getting it from someone else. It soon began to include spiritual abuse as well. I wasn't living up to my wifely duties if I didn't do this for him. At the time, I was young and wanted to make him happy, so I acquiesced. After my firstborn son, my obstetrician performed a husband stitch. During my episiotomy, that ended up causing incredible amounts of pain, and no one would take seriously that sex was painful for me. I was told by my OB that I needed to have more sex and to actively relax. I was told by my husband that I was faking it to get out of having sex with him. At one point, I was put on a schedule with the promise that if I met his needs, he would find it easier to be kinder to me. I'm sorry, on a side note, Doc, this is brutal. Like I just, woof, woof. Yeah, this is like my everyday, man. Man, <laughs> it just gives me such a respect for you. This just breaks my heart for this person. It's hard for me to read. Yeah. Makes me mad. Ooh, okay, not yep. about me. Take your time. Yep, it is. This is like literally like, I don't even know thousands of similar stories like this. Thousands. Ugh. I needed to complete this task every three to four days. I marked it on my calendar for every four days, and I dreaded every one of those days. I gritted my teeth through the painful sex for two and a half years. I faked orgasms to make it go quicker. I took painkillers to make it less painful. Sometimes I would get drunk to make the entire process easier. He was never inspired to be kinder to me. Then I had my second son, and thankfully tore again. I had told him I wanted a female doctor to stitch me up, and I told her absolutely no husband stitch. She was horrified that any doctor was still performing this archaic procedure and promised to stitch me properly. I don't even know what the fuck this is, but it sounds fucking horrible. I'm sorry. You're going to have to explain this to me because I don't... 
Yeah, what a husband stitch is. Yeah, I don't know. What is that to like tighten them up or something like that? Yeah, it's like so when people have babies, right, they rip, right, from the vaginal opening down to the like so the perineal area, right? So there's perineal tearing. The perineum is the space between the vaginal opening and the anus, right? So typically people will rip. And um, sometimes people get episiotomies, which are like the doctor purposefully um, cuts it to make space. But those often aren't recommended because sometimes people will overcut, right? So a lot of times now it's recommended medically that the baby is allowed to just rip on its own and unless there's some type of medical reason or cause to have to do an episiotomy. My understanding, again, I'm not an MD, but my understanding is typically they're not recommended anymore unless there's some medical, specific medical reason. But a husband stitch is, you know, when they stitch people up after whether an episiotomy or the natural tearing is to stitch it up a little tighter than it would be in order to make sex allegedly more pleasurable for a male partner. That's fucking yeah, madness. It's a, yeah. We'll get into that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, <laughs> yeah. And I'm sorry, listeners. This is very difficult to read. Um. And I, you know, thank you for explaining, Doc, because I, I yeah. had a feeling that's what it was, and that's just even more insane. Okay, back to the letter. So after that was far less painful, but honestly not palatable either. At this point, he had escalated the spiritual abuse because I left his religion altogether. He also introduced financial abuse by controlling how much money I had and interrogating me on my spending choices. He was extremely critical of my post-baby body. He would question me about what I was choosing to eat and made comments about how my clothes fit. I've since realized I don't feel sexual feelings at all and my emotional needs are not met, and around this time I was finding that I no longer had the ability to compensate for my emotional health and perform unwanted sex. I simply refused as long as I could. When the abuse escalated too much, I would allow him to have sex with me and perform enjoyment in hopes that it would reduce to a more tolerable level. About six years ago, I was refusing full-time. I was in a very dark place, had daily panic attacks, lost my appetite, lost a lot of weight from the stress, and had realized that I was completely trapped in this relationship. He was destroying furniture once with a hatchet. Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Punching walls and obliterating himself with gin every day. He had moved all the family financial assets to accounts and cards I could not access. He had refused to allow me to have a much-needed surgery to resolve pain in my shoulder <laughs> from an injury. He had his lawyer draw up a document where I would agree to give him custody of the kids before we were even separated and he was attempting to force me to capitulate to his religious beliefs by attending church with him and pretending to be a believer. His pastor was emailing me, telling me I was a terrible person who enjoyed hurting my husband. He pressured me to just accept his religion as true so his God could fix my sinful heart and my husband would no longer have a reason to abuse me. Yeah. I would be happy without drugs, and my marriage would heal because order would be restored. The rest of his focus was trying to pressure me into having sex with my husband as a way to signal that I was willing to do my part to heal my marriage. I refused, which intensified the abuse further. So, 
With the help of friends, I escaped five years ago in September. Good for you. Sorry, don't mean I shouldn't be commenting. I should just be reading that. I've been able to overcome much of the abusive programming with talk, therapy, EMDR, and anxiety medicine. Panic attacks are few and far between. I had a surgery to repair my shoulder, and I have coping mechanisms, support structures, and boundaries in place to facilitate better mental health. But the thing that sticks with me the most is the sexual abuse. I cannot seem to overcome the residual effects of it. I don't have much of a drive. I don't feel urges much at all. When I do, the idea of having sex is often exhausting. So I just buzz myself with a wand once or twice a month and go on with my life. When I do have sex, it's difficult to relax and enjoy it. I struggled to be in the moment because I made a habit of leaving my body so I could perform enjoyment for my abuser. Now it's automatic. I'm more worried about how my body looks, whether he's satisfied, whether it's going to hurt, and if I like, if I look like I'm enjoying it, then whether, whether or not I'm actually enjoying it. Eventually, I want to want it. I want to enjoy it. I want to know how to overcome this abusive programming. I want to fully feel the pleasure of sex without all the anxieties I've acquired over the years. And I honestly don't know how to do this. Any help would be great. Man. Yeah. Well, I very much appreciate this person sharing this story. That's, you know, a incredible amount to have survived through and to gotten have gotten through and it sounds like this person has done an incredible amount of work so also yeah. just i mean well done to you for how much it seems like you've already worked on healing from some of the trauma and getting through all of this i mean i'm gonna be really honest i told you know jeremiah when when he gave me this and i read it i was like whoa this is like many, many sessions, right? Like this would be something sure. if someone came in my office with this, that we would spend many sessions because there's so many different layers here, right? Like you have the layer of trauma, right? The layer of abuse and relational abuse and sexual abuse and, you know, all of these sorts of different abuses that this, uh, this person listed, right? And then on top of that, you also have elements around sexual pain, which we'll talk a little bit more about today because we haven't really talked about that on this podcast. Yeah, and not not in so great detail, of, no. We've only ever really kind yeah, of touched and, on it. Right, and it's kind of hard to, you know, like, <laughs> I was like, I do not know how to succinctly uh, resolve any of these things except to say, like, that's a lot. And I think we can talk about some elements of it. But this is absolutely like, um, you know, I'm, I'm really happy to hear that this person has, uh, it sounds like does and has done a fair amount of therapy because, you know, this is something where professional help is completely necessary. No individual person should be expected to navigate that stuff on their own. And it also sounds like this person has a good friend support group, which I think is like just so important. Yeah, um, for sure. And, you know, I will say before we get too into this, obviously, because I think really I can talk about some of these things and more in generalities, obviously, because I don't know this person, but, you know, I, I will say that like finding also, um, and a lot of times people will have like a general therapist and a specialist and I'm often for people, a specialist, right. Where I'm working through the sexual stuff right. and I'm still having work and I'm still having them work with a trauma therapist, right. Where they're working sure. through trauma and relational. And if there's abuse that has happened through that. And I think ongoing 
even maintenance work around that is really helpful. And then finding a specialist who really has experience specifically, like in this case, working with sexual pain. I'll talk more about sexual pain, but sexual pain is incredibly complicated. And it's incredibly complicated even when it doesn't, it's not intersected with a history of abuse, which often, frankly, it's not. There is some misnomers that people that experience sexual pain have been abused in the past. And frankly, anecdotally, the majority of my clients that come in with sexual pain issues do not have a history of abuse. And they might have more like medical situations, actually, and I'll talk about that in a minute, like medical situations or some type of um, specific incident that sort of triggers that pain. Um, But this is obviously a much more complex case because it was the sexual pain piece was really intermixed with a lot of other abuse with it, which makes it much more complicated. But I, I would say to this person, like really doing some research, um, ASECT, uh, which is A-A-S-E-C-T, it's the Association for Sex Therapists, Sex Counselors, and Sex Educators, um, has a uh, provider uh, site where you can see providers in your area and looking at bio- bios and seeing who in your area has experience specifically with sexual pain to maybe work with, if you're still seeing a trauma therapist, to work with your trauma therapist. And ideally, if you can find some of the both has, you know, I'm somebody that works both with sexual trauma and sexual pain, right? So sometimes, but it it depends on what you have available to you. So that's just stuff I wanted to say out loud right away. Well, thank you for that, Doc, because, you know, I know with a lot of our listeners out there, that was tough even for me to read. So I can only imagine the difficulty that that person went through. And, uh, you know, I I just want to say, you know, from a truly non-professional standpoint, I just, you know, kudos to you for doing all that hard work, uh, like the doc was saying earlier, because it's, uh, you went through a lot and uh, just shows, you know, uh, the kind of person that you are that wrote this letter and uh, that you have done that work and continue to do that work. And uh, and hopefully maybe the doc will have some helpful tips today and point us in some directions. Yeah. Like I said, you know, I, I think that the the amount of sort of things I can resolve is, is pretty limited, right? Given both time and uh, the fact that this isn't a person sitting in front of me to have a dialogue with. And obviously this is a education podcast not a clinical setting so we will which i will talk about because i totally thought that you know the whole deal with you was that you could cure all like (laughs) now it's just awkward for all of our listeners yeah it is it's really awkward for people i know but here's the good news like i routinely try to correct all of the uh really massive assertions you make about my brilliance and then try to like you know temper them for them to be much more realistic to what I'm actually capable of. All so, right, you know, fine, fine, there's, a, a re- fine. there's a reason to that madness. And today you are all seeing the reason. <laughs> I mean, all right. you know, I, I, I wish that I could say that I have not had plenty of stories like this in my office. I really wish I could say that. But the reality is, is I've had many, many cases, maybe not this exact story, but versions of this story, right? Hmm. Versions of abuse, of years of abuse that have resulted in sexual difficulties, sometimes not specifically sexual pain, but difficulties. I mean, sex is an incredibly vulnerable thing. And we talk about that all the time. And often I've met some amazing clients and amazing people over the years that have done just like this person, so much personal work. But the sexual piece is still a real struggle. And that's because of how vulnerable sex is, right? And, you know, you have to have a lot of sense of safety and trust for the enjoyment of that. And, you know, there's a lot of layers to that. 
I do think it would probably be helpful to just talk about sexual pain for a little bit in general because we haven't really talked about it and people often don't know a lot about it. All right. Um, well, before we do that, why don't we take a quick break now? And then we're going to jump back in so we can adjust. Are you anticipating that? Are you anticipating that I'm going to go off on long, long soliloquies? And if we don't take a break now, that <laughs> there will be no break. That's exactly why I'm like, I, yeah. we, I, okay. you just said something that's like, I mean, I don't know anything about sexual pain, but even I know from my really not knowing that you're going to talk about a lot of things. My brain's going to melt. And between my brain melting, you talking about a lot of things, it's just, I, we're, we're not going to get the break. So let's take the break now. All right, taking a break. The doc is going to talk about sexual pain when we come back. And we're back. I wish I could make a joke, but there isn't one to make because it's a difficult topic today. Um, And we thank all of our listeners for tuning in and maybe... A few things here might uh, be something that you've experienced in your life, and hopefully um, there might be, uh, Doc might give us some tools and understanding of some things that we didn't know anything about. Because like, just as we were talking about other things, like this whole like husband stitch and all this other shit, I knew nothing about that. So anyway, talk about sexual yeah. pain, Doc. Fill us yeah. in here. And, I, and you know, I'll like, oh, I could talk. I do a lot of work with sexual pain. So I should say that right away, right? I do actually a fair amount of work around sexual pain, specifically more vaginal sexual pain. Um, And so, you know, some of this is just anecdotal. So, and, you know, based on my own experiences and working with it, but first and foremost, people experiencing sexual pain is incredibly common, right? It is much more common than people think. Part of the struggle is kind of what we've talked about in previous podcasts where people don't talk about things. They feel ashamed about things. And so what that does is people often have no idea how common something is, is because they're, they're really not sharing it with other people for fear that there's something really wrong with them. And in my experience with people, and, and I'll say my experience is probably more specifically in working with sexual pain with cisgender women, right? Which is I've talked to a lot of women that have, you know, felt really alone with this experience, right? Because, you know, it seems like something that the body should be able to do. It seems like it should be simple. It seems like it should be easy. And so people don't share often with other people. But, you know, it's one of the most common referrals that I get. And I get a lot of referrals for sexual pain. And I have a lot of people in my personal life that will like find out I do that work and they'll be like, oh my God, I totally have experienced that or I do experience that. And there are a lot of different things that can create, you know, we don't have time to go over all of them today, but there are a lot of different things that can sometimes trigger sexual pain. And sometimes it's a singular event. Sometimes it's an event like this person described, right? Like post baby, right? Like you might have scar tissue or something's occurring where it makes pain, makes sex a little painful. Well, here's the really complicated part. So why does this become such a complicated issue for people? Well, it's because of our body and its pesky desire to protect itself. All right. Right. So we have a pain. We have a pain reflex. Right. So, you know, if uh, we're anticipating pain, our impulse is usually to right to flex or to tighten our muscles. Right. And so often people get in what I would call like an anticipatory pain cycle, right, where they have a painful event or a series of painful experiences. And then their mind, which is doing what it's supposed to do, is like, oh, hey, I associate this thing with pain. 
So I'm going to protect myself and I'm going to like tighten up. And a lot of times what happens is that then creates even more pain. So a really good example of this would be, let's say somebody goes to the doctor to get a shot, right? Mm-hmm. When you go to the doctor and like get a, a shot. You're talking often, like a flinch. You're getting ready for the shot. Right. You tense well, up because yeah. the, the shot's coming. It's like, oh. Yeah, well, but interestingly, what happens is when you go to the doctor, the doctor tells you to relax your arm. Right. Always, right? Relax your arm. And most people go Tighten. in their head, okay, relax your arm. And their body does the total opposite. Exactly. Right? Does the opposite thing. Right. And that's because of something called conditioning, right? Conditioning is when you pair certain stimuluses together, a relationship is created, right? It's called uh, classical conditioning, Pavlov's dogs. People, A lot of people know what that is, yes, right? Yes, I'm with you. But the this happens a lot with pain. Like, so let's say somebody was, I don't know, like lived in a culture in which they never got shots and had never been to the doctor. And they go to the doctor for the first time, right? And the doctor says, relax your arm. And they have no idea that the needle will cause pain. They'd probably relax their arm. Right. But as soon as that relationship between the needle and pain gets established, the body's reflex is to protect itself. And so a lot of people that are experiencing vaginal sexual pain are really and this is not everybody. Some people have like pelvic floor issues or other things. So always, 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 if you are having sexual pain, see a sexual health medicine provider. Sometimes you might see an OBGYN. Some of them might be trained specifically in sexual medicine. Some of them might not. Ask people about their training. Ask your providers about their training in sexual medicine. There are also people that practice specifically sexual medicine and have maybe more specialty in diagnosing pain issues. I say that because you never want to assume that there's not something actually happening with the body, right? Right. Sometimes people, sometimes people might have certain pelvic floor issues that they can work on in PT. Sometimes people might have, um, like there's something called lichen sclerosis, right? Like it's, uh, for lack of a this is an oversimplification, right? But it's uh, something that can happen with the skin inside of the vag, uh, inside of the vagina, right? And some of these things are very easily treated, but a lot of times people are often go to a medical doctor and they're told like, oh, it's probably just anxiety, right? Or sure, a lot they of get times, some like you know goofy simplistic answer that's not right, really or based in. Of, or interestingly, a lot of times people are like assumed that it's because they have a history of sexual abuse. There is a very strong association in the medical and psychological community between uh, sexual abuse and people having struggles with sexual pain. It used to be called like one one type of sexual pain used to be called vaginismus, which is really more difficulty with like penetration upon entry or like extreme pain, like when someone's trying to engage in penetrative sexual activity. And so, you know, there's a lot of like medical history here where a lot of people like when she says I absolutely 1000% believe this person when she says, I was talking to people about having pain. And what she said, like, nobody believed me. Yeah, nobody believed me. Right. And I do not even know how many times I have had people and women in my office talking about that. And part of the issue is because, you know, a lot of times when I talk about this reflex, right, pain is a reflex. So let's say somebody has a painful event or a series of painful events. What happens is their body wants to protect itself, right? And so the body is like, hey, there's a, like, we associate just in the same way we associate that needle with pain, we associate, we begin if we have painful sexual experiences, especially several of them, or even sometimes a bad enough one, our brain, without sometimes our permission, creates that association. Sex equals pain. Specifically, usually penetration equals pain. And so the body 
is doing, I want to be very clear to those people out there that struggle with sexual pain, or at least this type of sexual pain, your body's doing what it's supposed to be doing. You're not broken. There's nothing wrong with you. Your body is trying to protect you. It's not something that consciously you can control, right? And a lot, and I say that because by the time I see women that have been struggling with these issues, a lot of times they feel very broken. They feel like there's something incredibly wrong with them. And when we listen to this woman's story, with this woman's story, how could they not feel that way? Let's just even look at all the messages she got, right? She got them from religious figures. She got them from her doctors. Side note, this whole thing about like told to actively relax and have more sex. Terrible advice. Clearly, this person knows that. It's terrible advice. Based on everything you're saying, that sounds like madness. Well, and I, um, I have so many clients. You know, there are some great OBGYNs, medical providers out there that do an amazing job with sexual pain. And there are some that just are not well trained and they still work from this old model of like sort of if you just relax, you'll enjoy it or it just needs to stretch out. And what they're forgetting, right, is that the body is in reflex, right? And not only that, when we think of like what makes penetrative penetration comfortable for people, like so a lot of times people like with vaginal penetration, like when someone's engaging in some type of vaginal penetration, whether that's a penis penetrating a vagina or a toy or whatever it is, people, when we think about female arousal, people are often really focused on just lubrication, right? right it's it's right. somebody lubricated. But part of female sexual arousal is also dilation, right? Dilation of the vagina. And that creates more space for penetration, making it less painful. So sometimes what happens, and this person is talking about, I believe, beyond just the fact that she, it sounds like she had maybe some like, like scar tissue from her episiotomy, mm-hmm. right? And from that itch that was done, which is absolutely something that causes people pain. It comes up all the time, right? But beyond that, you're also talking about someone that's describing this incredibly abusive environment where, of course, she's not going to be experiencing arousal during, it sounds like sex was protective, right? She yeah, just, yeah, just, her, to, just her, bro, to saving her, partner, her from whoever this horrible guy was. Right, to, to keep her from having or experiencing more abuse. Right. And so there's, of course, arousal is not going to be happening, but arousal is also really pretty essential to some degree to more comfortable penetrative activity. And in the time of like, um, you know, uh, synthetic lubricants, a lot of times people will engage in penetrative activity before their bodies actually may be ready to do that, right? They'll be like, oh, we'll just throw some lube just on throw, it. I was just going to say, just throw some lube on it. And, you know, sometimes that works, but sometimes your body really isn't as aroused as maybe it needs to be or it could be in order to make it more comfortable. And this is even with people that are that have great partners. I've worked with so many people with sexual pain that have loving, awesome, wonderful partners. And maybe they've had some type of sexual event, right? Like, so a really good example is something like she's bringing up where they've had a baby and there's been some scar tissue and then they try to have sex. And it's like really a cycle, right? So then they try to have a penetrative intercourse and then that hurts and then they do it a couple times and then their brain sort of is like, oh, penetration equals pain, right? And so then it's harder to get aroused and there, there's like sort of an anticipation of that pain. And what does the body do when it anticipates pain? Protect itself. It tightens. It protects itself and it tightens up and then it becomes this almost self-fulfilling sort of cycle, right? right. Where people are worried about pain and because of that, they're bought. And, and of course, people are worried about pain. And again, I want to be really clear. This is something that 
is not a simple thing for people to just think their way out of. It's not like, hey, you know, this husband sounds like he did all sorts of things that made this person feel terrible. But I'm thinking of even more simplistic cases, right, where people have had really loving partners, really supportive, safe partners. And it's still really hard because people are battling against this super instinctive part of their brain. It's almost the same as like going to the doctor and someone like tapping on your knee, you know, that yeah, kick man, reflex yeah. and being like, control it, make it not happen. Right. right? Like <laughs> this is such yeah, okay. a hard thing for people to do. And, you know, this case is such a complicated one, but with sexual pain, right. One of the first things that I work with people on is really first, just this piece of like self-compassion. People have so much self-judgment and are so often upset with themselves. And and honestly, in a case like this, it sounds like she got a lot of messaging that made her feel like it was her fault. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and I, and I, and I will tell you that I treat sexual pain. If someone has a partner as a couple's issue, it's not an individual issue. You need a partner to also understand. You need an understanding partner that you can develop a sense of safety with. And the first thing that I usually work with people on is what I would call <laughs> banking positive sexual experiences, right? Where I take penetration completely and totally off the table because there's like 800,000 ways to have a good time that don't include penetration, right? Yeah, yeah and true, true. Like the buffet the we always talk about here, the University right. of Pleasure Doc, get to the buffet. And, right, and starting to build and trust partners and trusting people not to engage, especially if you have a history of abuse, right? Trusting people to, like developing that sense of trust developing that sense of like, hey, I'm not going to be asked or it's not even going to be on the table to engage in something that might hurt me. And we're just going to bank some positive experiences because what we're trying to do is to recreate that mental association. Because often what happens is first penetration equals pain. And then all of a sudden the mind starts to go like anything sexual starts to make me feel anxious that I might have pain because it might lead to penetration. Does that make right. sense? Yeah, sure. Right. So you're, I'm often working with people to first, like I am, I make if unless, and if they're not willing, I often talk about like, this is going to be really hard to do, but I am, it is important that partners come in. It's important that partners are a piece of this. And, you know, I don't know if this person does or doesn't have a partner right now, but even getting and having dialogues with the partner. And I honestly recommend that like that taking penetration off the table is incredibly helpful often for just building a sense of like safety, fun, arousal, right? And then oftentimes, and this is a part we're not going to go super deep in today. This is why somebody needs to work with a professional. Um, I would be then having people do individual work on their own around navigating that reflex and building arousal. Because a lot of times people are told to just relax, you yeah, know, just, just relax. relax. Just, you'll be fine. Just relax. When has anyone, hey, Jeremiah, when have you ever felt more relaxed when someone tells you to feel relaxed? <laughs> it's so true, Doc. It's 100% true. Yeah, man, just relax. It'll be fine. Just relax. I remember that when I was getting my first proctology exam and the doc, he was <laughs> such a weird guy and he stuck his tongue out when he did things. Like it was like, I'm not kidding. This is totally true. And he, you know, he came in. He was a seemingly nice older man, and he was like, oh, all right, check your prostate and this and whatever. And he stuck his tongue like this, Doc. I know our audience can't see it, but he's like this. And then he like, so he put the glove on, and I'm like, what is he doing with his tongue? And he turned, and he was like, all right, and he, and he bent over, and he was like, just relax. And of course, I was like, 
the more anxious we are, the harder it is to relax, and the more our muscles are also tense. You know, like our mind. I wanted and our to say my prostate was okay, by the way. It was fine. Oh, oh, good. You're, I'm happy to hear that. I knew you would be. I mean, you're a share. You're a share. So I figured you would have told us yeah. if it was not okay. So true. But it it is just very true. Like a lot of times, people are given messages. Well, you just need to relax. Well, a that's hard to do, and also relaxation and arousal are not the same thing. They're Ooh. not the same. So. Think of it like a like train stops. Okay, like if you're over here in Anxiousville, right? Like, yeah, you need to pass through relax, like relaxation town, but you still got to get over to like arousal center. You know what I right. mean? Like, they, just to stop at relax, like what I call it, a relaxation village, is not enough often for people because you're still struggling then with just you know some of that dilation, some other things. And again, a lot of this is stuff that somebody would. You know, ha- I really please if you're experiencing sexual pain and if you have access and capacity, see somebody that's done work with this, that has training in it, because it is, it's a complicated thing to work on. But from an emotional standpoint, I think one of the biggest pieces that people can start to work on, and I'm thinking about this person that wrote in, is starting some self-compassion. Like, for instance, like, it's very easy for people to be very upset with themselves. Like, why can't I do this? Why can't I just relax? Well. First of all, if you look at this person, because you've been through fucking hell. Like, <laughs> yeah, no shit. Right? Like, of course you can't relax. How could you? Right? Right. And so and program the about, thing, associate all those horrible things. With yeah. It. Your body remembers. There's this uh, book that a lot of people have read that have experienced trauma called The Body Keeps the Score. It's a very popular book that a lot of people have read. And again, to repeat it, The Body Keeps the Score. And it's about how your body remembers, sometimes even without the permission of your mind, the things that it's been through, right? It keeps a tally. And, you know, in working with a lot of sexual pain, that's something that I see. And also somebody that works with a lot of sexual abuse, right? The body remembers certain things. And that's not that's not something that you just get to control. And I know people are like, but I want to control it. And that want is a thousand percent fair. Of course. It but is. it also does, right? But it also doesn't mean that you should then just be able to do that, right? Like, right. I want to be good at sports. I am not, <laughs> right? Like, I just, <laughs> I'm bad at them. And I desperately want to be. I can work to get better at it. But, you know, it's not something my want isn't just going to make that happen. There you go. And, you know, with something like this, um, it starts with that self-compassion piece, right? And obviously, like, different people experience different types of sexual pain. So there's different trajectories for different people, which is why for any of you listening to me that are experiencing sexual pain, A, please first get a medical evaluation. B, find somebody that knows what they're doing that's actually trained. Be a conscientious consumer of therapists. Ask them their training. Ask them what they did. Ask them how often they've worked with sexual health issues. Ask them if they've worked with sexual pain in the past. Ask them if they've worked with sexual abuse in the past. You get to shop around. I have people interview me all the time, and they should. And I am not offended by that. I think, good job. <laughs> like, good. Right? Like, well, I mean, it's like, well you know what? I like to boil things down to like cars, as we've said before, Doc. You know, it's like, you know, you wouldn't take your Porsche to the local GM dealership. You know what I mean? Because the Porsche is a specialized car. It requires special brakes. It has special computer systems that only Porsche has and yada, yada, yada. You're not going to just go to the local Chevy dealership and be like, hey, can you fix my Porsche? 
I mean, maybe they would kind of be able to fix it, but guaranteed you're probably going to get bad advice and get wrong parts and the car won't work right. Right. So that's what the doc is right. saying, everybody out there. And I will tell anybody listening this. If you ever get the advice, if you're having sexual pain and you get the advice that you should just have more sex, right? You should just have more intercourse and it'll stretch out, which is common advice. People get that bad advice. Do not listen. If I can give one tip to that, that is, and you know, I don't say bad. You much. don't say bad. I'm that, like, I'm actually, I, if people could see my face, my, I'm like, I'm kind of like a gape mouth. Like, oh. Right. That is bad advice. That is antiquated, and I do not know how many clients I've seen that have been terribly harmed by that advice. It'll just stretch out. If you just have sex, you'll eventually enjoy it. None of those things I, anecdotally, have ever found to work with people. And frankly, when people come in, having had professionals or other people tell them that, they have been harmed by those recommendations. And so I cannot say that with enough emphasis. Um, I know we don't have a ton of time left, but if I can, because there's a lot in this one, I want to talk a little bit about the, she brings up some stuff that I think is really important here about the impact also of some of her experiences beyond just the abuse, right? She's talking about struggling with desire, right? What does she say? Yeah, she down says here something at the bottom. Yeah, she talks about, uh, she says she wants to want it. She talks about, right. um, eventually I want to want it. I want to enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, she yeah, says, she... I struggle to be in the moment. I struggle. Yeah. Yeah. Right. She says, I, I don't have much of a drive. And I would say, of course you don't. People that have experienced, and, and this is like a high octane version with all the abuse that she's been through as well. So like, of course you don't. But also, even if this was just somebody that had a really supportive partner and was struggling with sexual pain, we are not motivated to do things that we have associated with pain. Let's say, Jeremiah, you really love donuts. But every time you get a donut, you get punched in the face. All right. How often, how motivated are you going to be over time to eat donuts? If it was a donut, I probably wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to get punched in the face. If it was pizza, right. we all know I, or even sushi, <laughs> you know I might take the punch, but not but donuts. Interestingly, over time, if every time you ate pizza, something like you got really injured every single time, eventually you would start to associate, hey, Maybe I just need to, I, you would start to notice less motivation to eat pizza, right? It's not true. It no. makes I'm sense. I'm sorry. This is really not going to work for you. Um, this is a bad one. Pizza, you don't know the relationship pizza oh, and I God. have. Jeremiah, just go with it. All right. You get my point. I'm with you. Right. You get my point. People are not highly motivated to do things that cause them pain. This is And true. in this case, you know, right. And in this case, this isn't just about her experiences. It sounds like in the past with physical pain, right? It also sounds like her experience is an association of the emotional pain that came along with sex, right? This is a person, so this is very common for people that have maybe had sexual abuse, and maybe they're not experiencing vaginal pain or genital pain or any other kind of pain that's like literally physical, but sexual abuse with it comes a lot of emotional pain and a lot of emotional agony, and that association is met and met. And if Pain equals sex, whether it's physical, whether it's emotional. If pain equals sex, sex equals pain. If that association keeps getting reinforced over time, it's going to reduce a person's motivation. And why do I talk about motivation? Well, what is sexual desire? It's sexual motivation. Motivation. Of course. Of course. Right? Of course someone is not motivated. It's very common. Usually by the time I see people for issues with sexual pain, their drive is low. Of course, because 
you're not motivated to do things that hurt that are emotionally or physically painful. And so I do think that it's, it's just a really important thing to think because a lot of times people beat up on themselves about that as well. Like I should, I should want this. I should feel that. And part, and this is part of that self-compassion piece. I think the other stuff that really stands out for me is I think that this sounds like a person that probably, you know, I think you, like I've talked about, like getting a good provider is really important. That's really well-trained, but also on your own, maybe doing and thinking about some mindfulness-based work, right? Like mindfulness-based work is all about helping put people sometimes, there's a lot of different types of mindfulness, but there are certain types of mindfulness that help people put back, put themselves back in their body. This person is talking about something that would be called disassociation. So disassociation is something that's really common during abuse where people sort of leave their body, right? They kind of mentally leave their body in certain ways or different types of disassociation, but they leave their body to, so it's less painful, right? It's a way to tolerate it, right? And the body, you know, it's, it's really hard just because somebody's out of an abusive scenario doesn't mean that their brain snaps back and it's like, oh, remember that thing we did to protect ourselves? Now we don't need to do it anymore. So I'll stop right. doing it. No right? way. That's not just a switch it's, you can flip off, I would assume. Am I right, right. on that? It's a, it's, yeah, it's a coping mechanism. Right. And it was developed for a reason. And it was adaptive and wise, probably given the circumstances that this person was existing within. But now... You know, now, even though it sounds like she's in a much safer context, it's still really hard for the mind to come back and be like, okay, well, now we're safe and everything's fine. Our brains brains just don't work that way. And so there are like a lot of really great um, mindfulness tools, which is literally the practice, right, of like getting oneself. There's lots of different things with mindfulness, but there are different things. There's a really... um, a great uh, researcher, her name is Lori Brado um, out of Canada that does a lot of research with women, sex and mindfulness. And she has a book called Better Sex Through Mindfulness that I think might be a really good resource for this person. And it is about like using mindfulness as a tool to help get back in your body and to help start to really rebuild what she's talking about, your access to your own pleasure. And I will say that one of the things that I think is a really nice place to start is sex and sexual pleasure that's just for you. That's for nobody else, right? And so she talks a little bit about masturbation, but even thinking about, in and, and preferably with the help of a therapist, and I say that out loud, right? But just because some trauma responses can occur. So, you know, I don't know this person, and I don't, but for some people, I do, I would encourage help with a professional, but Doing stuff on your own that's just for you and exploring your own body and what feels good that's just for you and feels safe for you and building from there, right? Like masturbation, you know, is a really great way to reinvest in your own body, reinvest in your own pleasure and to sort of rebuild some of these things that it seems like kind of were taken, I, I'm not going to say lost, they were taken from her, frankly, yeah. is how yeah. I would say that, they were taken for sure. over the years, and and for other people as well. And again, I don't know this person, so like, take this advice and this stuff with a grain of salt, right? Like a giant grain of salt, because there might be a whole lot of nuances that I just don't understand. And for anybody listening that has been through abuse, like, none of these are catch-all things that I think that just work for everybody, which is why I really recommend you get some personalized care depending on the level of which you're struggling with things but I do I have seen and it's this person is an absolute marker of that I have seen people come back from such painful things 
and find their way back to finding ways back to pleasure. Cause that's, this is part of it is, is maintaining hope, right? Yeah. Like maintaining some hope. Like a lot of these are still about healing. And, you know, I know this was five years ago. She says this was five years ago, but that's a hell of a lot of stuff. That's to a go lot. Through, yeah. yeah. Right. And it takes, this stuff takes people a lot of time and it's hard to come from hell to pleasure. Right. That's a long distance. That's a big jump. That's a big jump. Right. That's a big distance to travel and being kind in yourself along that journey and being compassionate about the time that that might take. I think it's frankly probably the most important piece of all of it because these are some complex issues. And I wish I could give this person like, just get A, B, C, and D, and you'll be back in tune with your body and everything would be fine. Right. 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 <laughs> I have a suspicion that this person's not that naive anyway. Right. I don't think she uh, believes Based me, on the way they wrote me. all this, I would say definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Right. Not. She seems uh, she seems pretty savvy and she seems pretty wise and like she's done a lot of work on herself. Yeah. And, you know, I think this is probably stuff, you know, that's been maybe talked to this person before about. But, you know, for some of our listeners, they've maybe never thought about some of this stuff or maybe have never approached some of these issues in therapy or even just with themselves. And so I really, really because I know we have to end here in a moment. I want to thank this person so much for writing in because what a what a vulnerable story to share. And what um, I think this story, you know, is something that I think a lot of people out there, unfortunately, can relate to. Maybe they can't relate to every single struggle or every single trauma. But I think that there are maybe some pieces in here that I personally know a a lot of people that could relate to. And um, I just so much have so much gratitude and appreciation for her willingness to let us talk about it and share it today. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And I want to thank all of our listeners uh, for uh, putting up with my really poor read of this letter, because I got to be honest, it was actually really hard for me to read. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's that kind of part of your personality when you're a guy like me that wants to go knock on this guy's door and knock him around a little bit. But I digress. OK, I just... <laughs> well, and you're and you're a fit. You're a fixer, Jeremiah. Is that yeah, fair to say? You know, I just want to make me so mad. Talk made me mad. And then hearing these horrible things that she went through, just, you know, I just I want to also thank you for taking the time, whoever you are, to write in. This was a very vulnerable thing, like the doc said. And uh, hopefully uh, this letter will help so many others out there. Uh, and uh, thank you, doc, for everything and, and putting it out yeah. there and, and giving Support and showing that there are avenues that this person and other people that may have gone through these things or just facing, even with, like you were saying, like a really great partner and a loving partner uh, that is dealing with sexual pain, you know, go back and listen to where the doc said and pointed to those places and went, yo, check these things right. out. Well, and, and I say that I should say this because I don't think I said it because I'm kind of traveling all around because there's a lot in this. But with a piece around a partner, if you're a partner with someone that's struggling with sexual pain really working on your compassion as well with your partner, I promise you, your partner is not doing this on purpose. And I've had lots of partners that totally get that. And I've had some other partners that really struggle, really believe that it's an excuse or really struggle to believe that this isn't some purposeful thing that their partner is doing just to get out of sex. And I, I'm going to tell you this right now. I've done a lot of this work and not a single time has that been the case in my experience. Wow. Wow. And I'm, you know, there are I'm really shocked by like that. There. That's really like that. Wow. That's amazing. Because you would think that like. like not a, yeah. That the people are making a pain to get out of. You know what I mean? I, I'm i talking about like this type of pain, these type of experiences. And again, I'm just talking about my experiences. There's always exceptions. I'm not saying that there's not someone out there doing it. But 
I do not suggest making that assumption. And like I said, I have had so many clients I've worked with with just awesome partners that are really just great supports and they do their own work around navigating it because it is hard, right? Maybe you're somebody that wants to engage in penetrative sex and your partner can't because they're struggling with this and it takes a lot of time. So you got to do some of your own personal work as a partner, you know, in terms of how do you maintain patience and support and, you know, also work on your own shit that might come up in that <laughs> and think sure. about how might you be, how might you be facilitating that? Right. So if your yep. partner's like, scared and or if your partner's like having an anxious reaction and then you're telling them not to be anxious you know that might not be the most helpful thing in the world so just I back to like the doc says totally... just relax <laughs> yeah, no, worst advice ever <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, but more than anything go out like if you are struggling go out get support get help and again thanks so much to this uh listener for just, i frankly i would call this a story of just incredible empowerment and somebody that seems like they are an absolute badass in terms of how they've navigated some of these situations. So I really appreciate them sharing. Agreed. And thank you as well to whoever wrote this. And thank you to you again, Doc. So listen, we'll be talking to you all again next week. We're going to find a little pleasure. And even though this was a heavier episode, this is really about the university of pleasure, finding pleasure, and maybe finding your way back to pleasure. Right, Doc? What do you think of that? I, you know what? I, I, I think great things about it. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, thank you, Doc, as always. Thank you to this listener who wrote in. And take care of each other. We know it's difficult out there right now. Um, get on those Zoom calls. Say hi to your family. Stay safe. Stay healthy. And we will be back next week with a whole new episode. So take care, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Bye, Doc. Bye. This episode of the University of Pleasure was produced, directed, and edited by me, Jeremiah James. It was written by Dr. Tara Jansen and me, Jeremiah James. The University of Pleasure theme music was written by the incomparable Robert Felstein. And special thanks to our new associate producer, Kyle Binkley. And please remember, we want to be as inclusive as possible of the diverse experiences of others here at the University of Pleasure. So please email us your suggestions for topics that might be suited to you directly, questions, feedback, or just really great sex stories at contact at universityofpleasure.com. <laughs>